Welcome to the Unhooked Podcast, hosted by author, writer, and recovery advocate, Annie Highwater. This is a podcast of real conversations and true stories from those who have been affected by and overcome adversity. Each episode will tell real, raw, sometimes unbelievable stories, opening up the lives of a variety of guests, as well as your host. You will hear stories of despair, recovery, and triumph from people who have risen from or are making their way through wilderness experiences. The goal of the Unhooked podcast is to take a deep, productive look into topics related to addiction, alcoholism, grief, mental and emotional health, family dysfunction, codependency, conflict, and other types of affliction. The good, the bad, the dramatic, the real-life stuff that all of us face. You will hear wisdom and hope from people who are fighters, who fought to persevere through bewildering circumstances and difficult obstacles. You can contact Annie by emailing annieunhooked at gmail.com. And now, enjoy the show. Thanks for coming back, everyone. Today's conversation is with someone local, my brother's friend, Ben, who has actually become like a brother to me over the past several decades. I have invited him on because I've personally, through the years, been inspired by him, directed by him, annoyed by him. Um, his personality has had a profound impact on my life. So I wanted to sh- kind of share our friendship as I share my story and invite him to come on and give his thoughts. He always has good cut to the chase thoughts and direction whenever I've called him in despair, frustration, excited, whatever. He's truly been a family member. So thanks for coming on. Oh, you're welcome. And thanks for that uh, great introduction. And I feel a lot of the same ways you expressed it about you. Well, really, it's been a lifelong friendship, and it started odd, so um, I'll just kind of go into a brief um, introduction of my story and how we met. Um, so a lot of things that I've covered in my book, Unhooked, and I haven't brought on to this particular podcast, is if I want to go way back and just touch a little bit on um, my story leading up to that point, um, I was born into an extremely dysfunctional family. Um, my mother was pregnant with me, her sixth child, and had five other children, their marriage had been riddled with alcoholism. My father got sober just before I was born, but he was a dry drunk, which means sober but not working a program to heal your mind, heal your life, heal your patterns. So they were pretty miserable. I was dropped into the center of this dysfunction and all this misery and you know, brought into it without explanation, and my family was still reeling from all of it. When my mom was eight months pregnant with me, they lost their home to a fire. So to add to living from crisis to crisis and chaos to chaos. They moved in with her parents. Her father had really hard feelings toward my father from his years of physical abuse toward my mother. And so it was a, it was an atmosphere of conflict, bad vibes, bad tension. And I was born into it. Um, that said, my mother's brother also lived there and he was experimenting with kind of the 70s scene and drugs and music and all that went through that gone to Woodstock and all of that. So it was just a household surging with craziness and that was my first couple of years my parents moved next door but this misery followed us everywhere they got into some strange religious doctrines and promises of prosperity preaching and all of that where you'd name it and claim it point at someone's house and say this is going to be ours and get rich quick and amway schemes and things like that that just really continued adding to the dysfunction and and problems that they had but they were always looking for something outside them to solve the family's misery trauma, background of grief, all of those things. And it never truly happened. And 
no one truly explained any of what the misery was. I just knew I came along and sensed it. And sometimes it would get blamed on me. So I took it upon myself thinking, because I was born, my family's miserable. I didn't know until I was um, in my 20s that my father had been physically violent with my mother and my siblings had seen that. I didn't know he was a problem, violent whiskey drinker, that he had come from trauma. I didn't realize my mother had come from it. I just knew there was misery and we lived from crisis and poverty to chaos and, and havoc. And that was our life. And I kind of came up through my childhood marinating in that and wondering, what's this? What's that? Why is this? And no one really talked to me or guided me. And I was dropped off at kindergarten without even being told what school was. I just know my siblings left every day. So I was really kind of left scrambling to figure life out for myself with no guidance or understanding of what I was dealing with ever. By the time I was um, 12 years old, my mother got in a car wreck and was severely injured and became dependent on opiates, Percocets, Tylenol-3, all of those things. And it added fuel to the fire of what was already a chaotic family life. She spiraled deeper into that addiction because it took over anything else she had relied on and it was out of control but at that time most of my siblings had moved on into their adult life so I and one brother were left in the home there was a lot of mental illness and confusion it was during the time that people were talking about the rapture the world ending and my mother latched onto that she would call my friends parents and my teachers and tell them the world was ending and they needed to repent or that I did and it was Lots of embarrassing confusion going on. My sister married a man that was always feuding, and sometimes it would end up on the media, and he would put signs in the yard against the police, and we were just surrounded by craziness. So all that said, when I was 14 or 15, my one of my older brothers, I have four, met Ben and started bringing him around. And during that time, I developed this habit of... of latching on to friendships that almost felt like a nice brother, a nice mother, a version of a therapist. So every time he would come around and you were nice to me or friendly or funny, I kind of latched onto that and we developed our own friendship. So that said, I don't know if you remember first coming on the scene, but what was your take when you were introduced to my family? Well, it, it started out, uh, I'll take it back a little before I even met you. I, I was working in a warehouse and, uh, I used to go to uh, Bible school and things as a kid, but I had kind of gotten away from religion. I didn't really have any friends into that or whatever. And then uh, we were, I was working with your brother and he started talking about at that time he was going to, uh, you know, the rapture and, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. So we started talking about, you know, the Bible and the rapture and not just the rapture, but all kinds of things, the Bible. And I hadn't had anybody like my age like that. I'd ran into in a while that was, you know, as versed in it and wanted to discuss it. So, that kind of made me and him uh, form a bond, and I liked that part of him. So we kind of uh, took that into working out together in the gym, and we had some common interest. And uh, once we were starting to work out to the gym and shooting basketball and doing things like that, I uh, he invited me over to, to your house, and that's when I met you and your family. And I didn't see any of this stuff like that I know now that you're telling me about, you know, that you were dysfunctional and all that. I just thought your mom was like a, you know, the nice – lady next door and you know my family was so dysfunctional that your family seemed pretty normal to me you know but I didn't know what all was going on behind the scenes or anything so basically just everybody was pretty welcoming and friendly to me and I mean I seen some little bit of dysfunction there but nothing out of the ordinary compared to what I was used to because my family was pretty dysfunctional too and all split up so at least your family was together and 
you know, that was kind of neat for, for me to see at least a family that was together. I think that's so interesting because I didn't see the dysfunction in yours. I thought you were just like funny and cocky and confident and probably came from a life of ease. And it really just shows you, you truly don't know what's behind the scenes. Most of my friends had, you know, if they came around and got up close, they saw my misery or the things that were odd or, you know, kind of not taken care of in our home. But you truly don't know what someone's situation is like. No, I guess not. I, I figured your situation out as years went by, but really it's just the last five or 10 years, you know, that I really knew what was going on. I had no idea it was that bad. I mean, you had mentioned things here and there, but now you started getting into, you know, the writing and the blogs and the podcast and everything, you know, it's all come out more. But I, at that time I didn't see all that, you know, I had no clue. I was still figuring life out myself at that time. I'm pretty mixed up because I think I was only about 18 then. So I had a lot going on in my head. I was working on yeah, I, I remember you would come around and we would, I, sometimes I wouldn't see you or talk to you for two or three years, but you were always somebody who was stable and logical and practical. So sometimes our paths would cross for whatever reason and I would say, I'm having this terrible struggle with a friendship or with my son's dad. And you would real logically, you know, you were some, you had this way of not being judgmental, but always drawing it back to practical steps of what my part in it, what I could do, how I could look at it. And you were never one to be like, oh, well, what a jerk, or they're crazy, or baby me, or attack me. You just had a real logical way. And I, I kind of always remembered and returned to that whenever I would have times of wanting stability or wanting a safe, stable, cut to the chase, but very blunt and true view of my situation. So I, I that started increasing through the years. And one of the things I think is funny is that I always introduced you as my brother's friend and that, and you would say, why do you introduce me as his friend? If we would run into people or we'd be out hiking or something, my brothers would even think that was funny. And it was because I was so careful to respect our friendship, which had really become genderless. And through those years I had been married and, or had relationship, you would be in the same situation. And I always wanted to be respectful and rep and protect what you had going on, what I had going on, and that our friendship was truly so pure. So it kind of became a running joke that now that's just what I call you as my brother's friend, even though really you're probably closer to me. Uh, yeah, I'd say that's pretty accurate. Uh, I wasn't for sure that's how you seen that or way you expressed it that way as your brother's friend, but that makes sense. And uh, yeah, I'm just glad I could be a friend and be there to offer any kind of advice when you uh, needed it. You've been there for me as well. Trust me, plenty of times. I just maybe don't communicate it as good as you are doing, but you've definitely been there for me. And just during our conversations, I'll work things out in my head where you didn't necessarily give me the answer, but just by talking to you and me saying it out loud, uh, it makes me think the problem through. And you might say a couple little key things to steer me in the right direction. And, you yeah. know, it's kind of funny how that all works out. Or I would just tell you a way that I failed or maybe something I tried that worked or how I looked deeper into a situation. Um, and, and that said, I want to give an example of a time that you made a profound impact on my life it, because it's a statement you said to me that I have offered so many times to other people when I maybe need to come up with something to say to someone who feels like they're at rock bottom and life is just falling apart all around them. When I was going through my divorce with my ex-husband, my son's dad, it seemed like everything hit the fan at once and my dad went into hospice and divorce is terrible and miserable anyway but when you have a close death in the family occurring alongside it there is just something about that that is beyond despair and I remember sitting on my uh, mom's front porch my dad was in hospice I'm going through this 
divorce process that was bitter and ugly, trying to keep this kid out of it and stable, not wanting, you know, wanting to protect and shield him from all the horrors going on around us. But I just truly felt like my one shot at having a family or any type of a good life was over, even though, you know, my ex-husband and I laugh now that our relationship was so young and ridiculous and awful and could have never worked out on either side. But I, and I was only probably 27 when this conversation happened, but I remember you pulled up, I think you were coming to see my brother and you were on a motorcycle. And one thing I do remember is that a wasp had flown down your pants. So you had to come running in the house and take care of that. But you came out and I was just so beat down and despairing. And I said, it's, it's over. You know, I don't, I don't know what I have to look forward to or try for him. You know, it's over. And you said, no, no, I'm going to tell you what my dad told me when I went through something similar, everything you lose, everyone, everything, home, car, dream, relationship, you'll get it all back more. You'll get it all back and more. And those root, those words, I don't know why they were so powerful, but it's like they were a seed planted in my heart and for years, and I've had to start over several times, I would always go back to that conversation and think I'm not going to give up or think this is it because I can always start over. I have today, tomorrow, next week, and on into eternity. I be- I'm, one- I'm a person who believes we spend more time in whatever's next than we do here. So I, I really took those words to heart. And I even had somebody a couple of weeks ago say to me, you know, I just feel terrible starting over. I don't even know where to begin. I feel sick. I feel like it's over. What hope do I have? And I said, I'm going to offer these words that this friend gave to me. You'll get it all back and more. If you do the work to keep your head up and to keep going and not give up and make things better, you know, it's one of those things I always call recovery. It's like turning a ship around or weight loss. You don't see the, the results quick. But if you do the work and you keep believing it's going to get better, you get it all back and more. So I don't know if you remember that moment or not, but I've thought about it for years over and over. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, that was actually – I haven't got a whole lot of uh, good advice from my dad over the years. He's not the kind of guy to, you know, give, give a lot of advice or life instructions or whatever. But I was going through my divorce at that time, and I was upset about – really, when I see it now, it's just trivial stuff. I mean, like – we had like a 47 gallon fish tank, you know, and a nice armoire and like a night, a good bed. And I was just worried about little material stuff like that. And he had told me, Oh, you don't need to worry about that. You know, you'll get that back and more. And it kind of, I thought, okay. Yeah. Cause he had been, he's been married and uh, divorced three times. He's doing good on his last one, but so he'd already been through it. I knew he had, and I'd seen him rebound and that little stuff I was worried about. I mean, it was within a year or two I had that back and more. And then once you pan out further and you go five, 10, 15 years ago, it's really a joke that I was even worrying about that little bit of stuff that I, I was worried about. It was nothing and very easy to get that back and more, you know, so that definitely good advice helped me and I'm glad it helped you. And I wish I had some more good advice from my dad to help <laughs> myself and you with, but that's the only one I can think of, but he, not that he hasn't gave me other advice. It's been good, but that's, that's the main one that's probably helped me and you for sure. I've had to go back to that too on several things I was worried about starting over. And after you learn that once though, the second and third time, it's much easier to, to like, okay, I already went through this. I already know it's going to work out. So why worry? Forget about it. You think you in the situation longer thinking you were going to lose so much? I'm sorry, repeat the question. When, when you went through that divorce, do you think you stayed in the situation longer than you would have because of all the things you thought you'd lose? Uh, no, definitely not. No, no, no. I definitely didn't. I was just, uh, I, I stayed in that longer than I probably would have because 
you know, I want, I, I always seen myself as just getting married one time and lasting forever, which I don't know what made me think that I was never that good at relationships. I, I didn't have the tools to be good in relationships. And, uh, but that's what I thought. And I'd married into a, like a Catholic family. And like I said, my family was small and dysfunctional and they were a big family. And I just, they just included me in and made me feel welcome. And it was just neat being a, being a part of that. And, uh, you know, part of their religion, you know, they really, they looked down upon divorce. So I was trying to, you know, make them happy and, you know, be part of that family and keep it going mainly for that reason. Even though our relationship was terrible, I was kind of looking at it more for that, for that reason. If you could touch on that a little bit, you don't have to name her or anything, but I always thought that was interesting too, because, you know, I do a lot of work with families that are affected by addiction and I haven't heard, I don't have a ton of stories just because of my own research of a husband of somebody that had an addiction. So if you could just kind of touch on that, what you thought it was at first and how it showed up, what problems it caused, and then how you came about finding out what it was and then how you got out. If you could kind of just give a rundown of that. Uh, I just remember she was, uh, working at like a salon running a salon. Actually, we had our own first, we were, uh, working at a salon and then she ended up getting a lot of clients, building the business up. So we were doing pretty good financially. I had a decent job and, uh, she started running around with her, uh, people and not, not coming home till late at night. And then she kept talking about, you know, starting to do cocaine and want me to get in and hang out with these people and go up on their boat at Lake Erie and party with them. And, I don't know. I was always kind of leery of, of that. I knew I have addictive, you know, think traits in my personality and I didn't want to, you know, trigger that one. I always thought that's something I could maybe get addicted to. So I knew for me, maybe it wouldn't be a good idea. So I would never jump into that. And anyway, she started hanging out with these people more and more and she wouldn't come home when she's supposed to come home and bills wouldn't get paid that we should have had the money for. And, uh, you know, you just put two and two together after a while and, you know, and, figured out was the cocaine and we even sent her to a like a detox place for a weekend I can't remember if it was Mary Ave or who it was but she would do a weekend there and maybe do good for a week or two and then start back over and of course I'm talking to her parents and stuff the whole time and you know I'm reading what books and there wasn't really no internet or nothing then so I was just getting books from the library and stuff and reading it and I just kept going through it you know trying to help her get clean and get away from those people and quit you know, thinking about partying all the time and, uh, so much she could do good for a while and then something would snap and she'd go right back to it and, you know, be gone all night. I had no idea where she was. She wouldn't come home till wake early in the morning and always depressed and down and, you know, feeling guilty, you know, and it was just a, that, and that just made her self-worth go down. And the next thing you know, she'd go back out and party again just to get that high back, I guess, because she was feeling so down about what she'd been doing. So it just, uh, the cycle just went on and on and eventually I got to a point where I was, you know, thinking I'm not going to keep living my life like this. I'm going to have to set my foot down at some point. I'm not, not going to be happy in our relationship. Isn't that good? And we're still young, you know, maybe be best to cut ties now. There's no sense in dragging us out. So I had come home. I was working third shift as a prison guard and I had come home and uh, I'd made her, I, you know, I'd set my foot down before and acted like, a, you know, this is the last straw and, went reneged on it, went to let her come back. But this time I, I ran to Myers after I come home, changed the locks. And <laughs> that, I pretty much set my foot down on that one. And she was, you know, begging me to come back and she tried again. And I just knew I was just going to go on and on in my life like that. If I kept that going, we were not, we were never on good ground anyways. Our relationship was pretty much immature and unstable anyways. We really didn't choose wisely. We didn't you know, have the same kind of hobbies and likes. And so 
you know, it worked out best for me to cut the ties then and move on. And she found somebody else and moved on with her life too. And I'm not sure how she's doing now or whatever, but I know for me, it was definitely the best thing for me just to move on from that and learn from that experience. I always thought that was so impressive because I mean, I, I, we were friends during the process, you know, we didn't talk every day by any means, but uh, we were friends and, and you were friends with my brother. So I kind of knew in the peripheral what was going on and I wouldn't, consider you by any means cold-hearted about it, but you were so practical. I mean, even from the point of being leery of getting involved in those things because you're mindful of your own traits, even at a young age, you were aware of that. And then the way you handled it, it wasn't emotionless because you were trying and reading and, you know, you did take her back, but then it was like, I'm not going to, you know, people fall into these patterns forever, you know, for years and decades thinking I can fix it. It'll get better. And you just had the enough presence of mind an insight to know I got to do what's healthiest here. And I mean, that's something, that's why I've always taken your advice to heart because you do the tough stuff despite the emotions, but not without emotion. That makes sense. Yeah, I appreciate that. I I guess I don't see that in myself. It just seems like a natural way to go for me. Just think about the logical steps and it doesn't make it easy though. I remember having a a rough time sitting there, you know, lonely at night and missing her and wondering what she's doing. And and she would even call every once in a while and just like from wherever she was at partying and, you know, almost like crying to me to want to come back. And I would just sit there and tell her no. And I was already lonely and missing her and have her actually the phone to ring and me to have to tell her that was, you know, gut wrenching, but I knew it had to, cause I knew it would just start the process over and it'd be another six months down the line. And, you know, we would just never get nowhere. So it just wasn't easy. I just knew the steps that, that had to be done and it wasn't within three or four months, you know, divorced and, uh, living, living a new life, it was clear to me that I had made the right decision. And matter of fact, we even got together for lunch one day, me and her, and uh, just our interaction and talking to her, whatever. It, it was, I think both of us knew that we're never going to see each other again after that time or whatever. When, when we, I don't know, it was a, we got along and everything and talked, but I think we both was looking at each other like, yeah, this is definitely over and we're, we're never going to see each other again. And we never did see each other again after that. That was our last encounter. Wow. I don't even know what made you self-aware. When did that start? Is that because of the family you came from? Or do you remember being aware and mindful of things when you were young or a teenager, just high alert? Because you always have been. Uh, well, I was like, I was an only child and uh, we split up, uh, but my parents split up when I was young and then we were constantly moving around. So I was starting new schools and meeting new people and, you know, I didn't have no brothers or sisters. So a lot of times you start over in a neighborhood, you don't know nobody. I didn't have the tools to go make new friends. So for a long while, I'd just be running around and hanging out by myself and reading and, you know, doing things on my own. Eventually, of course, you'd start getting in with some people and making friends, but it wasn't, I didn't have the tools to make that happen fast. So it was an eventual things. But so anyways, I've become sort of a loner over the years, you know, based on all that or whatever. So with all that time, you start becoming introspective, I believe, if you're, you know, sort of a loner and you're not around people all the time it's going to make you, uh, you know, think about how your thoughts are going. I've always kind of been interested in psychology and that sort of thing too, but, and I also learned from observing people too. So I guess if you're interested in psychology, you're not even going to study your inner things, but you're going to, you know, always be watching people and studying them and thinking about them, which is maybe an abnormal trait too. I'm sure everybody don't go around thinking that way and studying people's behaviors, but I don't know. I've always kind of done that. It's kind of a natural thing. I'm not sure how or why it just, it is. That's why I've always returned to our friendship, like in, you know, just over the years, I kind of gravitate back toward running a conversation past you because you were always, you always lead conversations back to being introspective. And 
you know, sometimes hard on yourself, but it's the healthiest thing to do. I always thought that was interesting. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks. Every time I get on my elliptical, I keep seeing this phone case and it calls, it says the words impact protection and it always catches my eye because um, I just, I have this theory that we have impact protection from everything except our emotions and people don't even like to talk about how stuff feels and that's why we are in a crisis of mental health right now because people don't deal and I was thinking how shoes have impact protection and cars do and airbags and you know helmets and everything does but we don't set anything in place to protect ourselves from the impacts of how difficult life can be whether it's addiction divorce or whatever but I think it kind of starts with self-awareness and mindfulness. I mean, I kind of would like your take on that. Well, I, I would have to agree with what you said there. Uh, yeah, uh, one of the things that's helped me as I got older, I wasn't doing this when I was younger, but mindfulness and meditation, it definitely is. I'm currently not doing as good as I sh should, but I, I go through, you know, for, for decades now, I go through in and out of the phases of where I get more, uh, uh, meditative, I would, I guess is the word, uh, for all you know, use practice for longer. And I'm not doing, I'm way off right now, but you know, the, you still learn from the times you were doing it, you know, because it, you realize your mind is not you necessarily I, you know, it took me a while to realize that I always thought these thoughts I'm thinking, this is me, this is who I am. And a lot of times it's really not who you are. You know, that's what the meditation does is it draws you back and you know, just because you think a thought and you're trying to meditate on your breath or whatever you're meditating on, you know, that's what you're doing is observing. It's not you're a bad meditator just because you think something like, oh, I should be on that thinking about my breath or whatever your focal point is. It's just it's just watching the movie your brain plays. And that's not necessarily you. I don't know if it's survival instincts for planning ahead or, you know, worrying about the past or, you know, a lot of times it's very little in the moment. It's all, it's usually, you know, going to the future planning, which is, you know, that's maybe how you survive, but that creates anxiety if you stay in that state of mind of planning. And then when you're looking back all the time, like a lot of times you're going to dwell on mistakes, you know, looking back, not necessarily the fun times and that creates like a depression, you know? So, and those, that's already done. You've already learned that lesson. You already, no need to dwell on it. Why go back and you already know what the mistakes you did and, you know, forget about that and live in the present moment. And, worrying about the future and the past and meditations, you know, made me better at that. It's still a work in progress, a lifelong work, uh, you know, to actually live in the moment. I don't know if anybody ever really gets to the point where they can live in the moment all the time, but I am doing better. And a lot of it is my, uh, you know, the meditative practice has done that for me. But like I said, I'm, <laughs> I could do better all the time on that too. Yeah. Well, you've been in a long-term really healthy marriage and she is amazing and wonderful too. Do you incorporate stuff like that in your, do you guys talk about stuff like this? Uh, she's always been kind of a uh, anti uh, yoga and meditation really, but uh, she had, uh, she ended up last year getting uh, breast cancer and uh, uh, it was pretty scary for a while and uh, getting back into shape. She's got to take an estrogen blocker and you know, there's some side effects from the surgeries and all that. And it's, it's been tough on her. So she ended up getting a, uh, get involved with a uh, personal trainer and he's done wonders for just uh, it's a group training thing. So her getting with this group and training and just him, his guidance and stuff has really helped her physically, but with her mood and everything, it's just been a real positive thing. But there, some of the people in, in involved in that are, you know, more in a meditation and uh, yoga. And she's been doing a little bit of like kettlebell yoga and a little bit of meditation and telling some of the people that, you know, I've got on her about she, she needs meditation and yoga more and, 
now that they've told her, <laughs> she kind of, you know, agrees, you know, with it and been looking into it a little bit. So it's been playing around with it. She's got a long way to go, but at least she's to the point where she's thinking it would be beneficial and seeing it that way. Or she wasn't even seeing it that way before, but really she, it's like a lot of things with her. She's got to hear it through somebody else. I can tell her and she's not necessarily going to listen, but yeah. when I've told her and then other people are telling her, then she kind of listens. One thing I love about your wife is how laid back she always is because you and I are a little more high strung and affected by things and kind of analytical. And she just takes things in stride and is often so relaxed. Um, and one thing that I thought was interesting, cause I was, you know, in the peripheral again, when you guys went through this cancer experience is that you said her cancer was caused by stress. Your doctor, her doctor said that I never, I guess I didn't realize that that could actually be part of a diagnosis. Well, I, I didn't know much about cancer until we got into this and we've done a, we both done a lot of, of a reading, a lot of reading, extensive reading on it and talked to a lot of people. And we, and from the information we've gathered and what we've come to stress is a big part of it. It's not all, but it is a big part of it. It will bring on, uh, it'll break your immune system down. And once your immune system is breaking down, that's when those cancer cells can, you know, replicate. It's certainly, I think it's a big factor. And some of my uh, times I've been sick with some of my worst things too. I believe it was a big factor in that, you know, when I look back at what was going on in my life and my head at that time. So, yeah, we were, we, she was doing a lot of work, working crazy hours and just not getting enough sleep and just burning a candle at both ends. And her mom had died and, she had all this responsibility, the estate and just all these things, just, she just, you know, was too much. And we think that broke her immune system down or helped to break it down or whatever. There's more to it than that, but we do believe that's one of the big factors in it. So mental health is a big part of, and then for reoccurrence where I try to keep her head in the game now where she don't, she has a tendency to want to, you know, work hard and, you know, push, push, push and burn a candle at both ends. So both of us try to keep her uh, on focus for, you know, taking care of herself and getting her rest and making a balanced life and not just push, push, push all the time. Yeah. You can be laid back and still be internally burning alive on the inside with stress. Yeah. 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 She, yes, that's definitely her as far as her work goes, but she's, she has real good people skills with people. She grew up in a real uh, stable house. Her mom and dad, uh, just great parenting skills and pretty normal family to, you know, grew up in Clintonville. It's just a uh, pretty normal family, a good upbringing. Her mom and dad did a real good job. I think that's a big factor in, in the way she is. And she had a group of friends. They've been friends for ever since they were in kindergarten. There's about 20 or 30 of them. They they get together constantly. One, two, three times a month, they're getting together for something. So it's yeah. pretty neat to see somebody operate like that because that's pretty much the opposite of how I operate. I know. I remember seeing that in the early days of your relationship with her and, and thinking, now you know they're not like us. You know, <laughs> they're different than <laughs> us. <laughs> but it's worked so well. And she's she's really wonderful. And I've, I've watched the process of your marriage and just even your growth as a young person. And I think being introspective has always been what's kind of saved you and navigated you. And I've watched you guys travel all over the world and your relationship just grows stronger and it's a beautiful thing to see. And I, I really think it's because you are so centered and grounded in coming back to that awareness. Well, I don't think that hurt. Uh, I, thanks again for the uh, compliments there. And I don't think that that hurt, but yeah, probably a lot of factors. It's, it's, it's like everything. A relationship is work. And just when we think we got things together, you know, there's one part of it that we let slip and didn't even realize it. And, you know, you got to put in the work to have a good relationship like everything else. If you don't put the work into it, it's, it's, it's not going to be as good as it could be just like everything else, you know, like my meditation, I'm saying I'm not doing or going to the gym or my cardio or my flexibility, you know, 
it's all, it's all like that. Everything. And a lot of times it's doing the stuff you don't want to do. That's from one of the people you turned me on to, uh, David Goggins, which yeah. you've turned me on to many people. I want to thank you for that. But he's pretty much made me realize all the stuff I don't want to do. That's the stuff I need to do. That's basically through him. So, yeah. I love his story. He's the one that was really overweight and I forget what he had a lot of issues and then became a Navy SEAL, but failed. Um, we had to go through hell week twice. And now he, I mean, he's just phenomenal. Anyone that gets a chance, look him up on YouTube or the internet, David Goggins. He is, uh, I always watch his videos for inspiration and anytime you're feeling down or like the chips are against you, um, or the odds or st- whatever, he really shows you. It's when you turn toward the suffering and push through it that you come to the other side. And only certain people have that kind of constitution to do that or that mindset. But you gotta, you got to kind of force yourself to face what's hard. Otherwise, your life's going to stagnate. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and even if you do good at it for a whole week, every day you're good at that. By day eight, you might forget about it and not want to push through it or whatever. So it's like a constant reminder all day long, every day. And it's, it's never going to go away. You're never going to get it all the way down. It's just, you got to constantly push against that. Cause it's just, you're, you know, you don't want to do these things you don't want to do. So, and a lot of times they're the things you need to do. So, you know, another one, I don't know if you've listened to him much or whatever, who pushes the, uh, discipline is freedom is uh, Jocko Willink. He has a lot of, uh, uh, information on that. He has his own podcast and he's even got a book about, uh, discipline gives you freedom and, yeah. uh, yeah, it's a lot of the same philosophies as David Goggins, but anybody looking for motivational stuff along those lines, that's another great example. Oh, I love it. Well, and we like to end on joy, hope, or something like that. So, um, gosh, we've both been through a lot of crisis and struggles through the years, so I don't know which one to pick. But if you could speak right into the life of someone in the middle, in the very center of it, not seeing around the corner or the light at the end of the tunnel, with an addicted spouse or going through the loss of divorce or cancer, any of the things that you've been through and come out of, what would be your best encouragement? Uh, you know, you've got to keep pushing forward. It, 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 I don't know how it's going to end out, end up. I don't know how you're going to get there, but you will get there and you will get to a good spot. And I don't know how long that's going to take, but everything I've been through, sometimes it's only four to five months later and I just can't believe where I'm at you know, from what I thought I was at, like, I can't believe how good things have turned out. And, and then on down the road, when you push years out past that, some of these things I went through may, you know, made me a way better person for future, uh, events that happened or whatever. At that time, I see nothing but negative out of it, but there's something positive. out of you going through this somehow? I don't know how, but it will make you stronger and you will be able to use that in the future, uh, for a, a good purpose to push you through another event. Because that's one thing in life it's not going to end. There's going to be one event and you're going to get over that. And there's going to be another event. And you know, you have to figure out, find the strength to push through it. And each time you overcome and come it, and that kind of builds your muscle on, you know, pushing through the next event, I think. So just uh, keep pushing. I don't know how it will work out, but it will, but nothing good is going to come from moping and being negative. You just got to keep your head up and push through it. And I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. I, you just went through it yourself. Uh, the last time I, you were down and called me up and, it's been, it's been a while now, but yeah. I don't think you can believe where you're at from where you were at when you were I going through that. We knew I was going to come out of it. And when I called you on a really bad day and I was a really a mess and all of these things had happened in crisis and chaos, just as I was putting a book out. And 
I knew I was going to get through it. And one of the things that we kind of agreed on was you, you don't sit down in this for long. You got to take time to, you know, to melt down, to sit in it for a minute and kind of grieve and assess the situation, but don't stay down there. Don't sit down for long, do all the things, you know, maybe you can't change certain circumstances, but you can go exercise or go for a run or call a healthy friend or send a card to somebody and cheer someone else up, do something positive and proactive in the midst of it because you will come out of it. And that was something that I called you over specifically because I had to be reminded of it because things were so bad. But you said, you're going to, you know, I'm going to call you again in six months and you're going to be out of all of it talking about what you learned and what you gained. And that is the absolute truth of exactly what happened. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I, I would have never guessed it would have went so good for you. You know, that was a perfect example of it. And it was, it's, pretty recent. I would have never guessed. And then even my wife's cancer, we, you know, from where we were at last around last Thanksgiving to this Thanksgiving, cause it was right, right before Thanksgiving last year, we got the diagnosis and now we're right after Thanksgiving. I mean, how our year has went and uh, where we're at in life, we, we, we would never guess this. It's just, it's much better than we anticipated. So, you know, it's not perfect, but it's way, way better than we thought. Hopefully it just keeps getting better. Matter of fact, I think the, the cancer, uh, thing made our relationship stronger i guess maybe she didn't you know realize how much i loved her and which is probably my fault i don't express it good enough but after she seen how i reacted and what i did helping her through her cancer i know she you know feels way more uh, comfortable with how much i love her than before i mean she said that to me so i guess there's that right there is something good came out of it you know and there's other benefits besides that you know but so not to say cancer is a good thing but you know you, some good has come out of it You've got a mind for it. There can be something good, something gold out of everything terrible, out of every adversity. Right. You've got to look for it. Set your mind right. Don't sit down in it and don't give up because it can get better. Oh. Yeah, I would say that's uh, good advice. Thanks. I agree. Well, thanks for coming on. We'll have you on again because you're my brother's friend, Ben, and I'm always, you know, checking back with you. So thank you so much. And until next time, bye-bye. You have been listening to the Unhooked Podcast. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode by the guests belong solely to the guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the host or any affiliated organization or institution. Annie's books, Unhooked and Unbroken, can be found on Amazon, Cokesbury, BarnesandNoble.com, and wherever books are sold. You can find her work by searching Annie Highwater on Facebook. If you have enjoyed the Unhooked podcast, please subscribe, share, and leave a five-star review. We hope you'll keep coming back to listen to the Unhooked podcast.